there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James, and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Andre Segovia said, The guitar is the easiest instrument in the world to play, poorly. This work is like playing the guitar. It's done badly by nearly everyone and mastered by very few. Understanding this work depends on things we'd never expect to be important. It's one of the big problems we have. We have our expectations. We think, well, we should be working on this. I should be working on that. We want to decide as we observe ourselves we want to decide what we should work on. We also want to decide for other people what we think they should work on. Well, you're not nice to me and you say bad things to me, so therefore you should work on negative emotions and stopping this and stopping that. But the truth is that the intelligence behind this work has an entirely different idea about what needs to happen when and where. And so the idea of obeying this work is a very difficult concept for people who are so arrogant and so full of self-love and self-righteousness that they think that they know what's best for them. And this is our problem. And this, of course, is the problem of people on this planet. And this is why I say that this work is like playing the guitar. It is done badly by nearly everyone and mastered by very few people. The reason being, so few people are willing to surrender to the work to allow it to do what it's supposed to do. In other words, to give it its head so that it can go where it needs to go. And that's a huge problem for us. So we need to understand that. We need to get our minds around that. And we need to understand that in order to allow this work to have a place in us, we must yield to it. We must come to terms with the idea that there is something higher, that there is a higher intelligence, a higher power, and that it is up to us to follow it instead of direct it. It's not like we're holding the flashlight of consciousness and we have to direct it where we want it to go. Our job is to allow the light of consciousness to enter into us and show us whatever it wants to show us, rather than say, well, no, I need to work on this, so you should do this and you should do that. And of course, we get lots of support from people in the world because they all want their lives to be comfortable and perfect. And that means that they know exactly how you should change in order for that to happen, in order for that to happen with them. Of course, they don't know, and neither do you. But convincing you of that is something that is impossible for me to do. But it is possible for you to do if you will observe yourself properly. One of the other things that I think is important is that understanding this work, as I said, depends on things we would never expect to be important. Right knowledge and right effort will equal understanding. We will get understanding from right knowledge and right effort. We think that any knowledge and any effort will produce understanding, but it won't. Any knowledge and any effort will produce understanding or something that we think is going to be understanding, but isn't understanding at all. It turns out to be something misunderstanding or it turns out to be imaginary. We imagine that we can understand without force. We imagine that all we have to do is beat our heads against the wall and eventually we'll knock a few bricks down and we'll be able to see through that wall. That's not how it works. 
but we imagine that that is how it works. We imagine that by sheer force of violence, we can storm the kingdom of heaven and take it. And the truth is, you will not get an expanding state of consciousness by contracting and beating on the door. You will have to enter through the gate. If you go over the top of the fence, if you go this way or that way, you can't get in. You have to go through the gate. Foundational ideas and experiences must precede what we imagine to be the more important ideas. This is one of the most difficult things. Because we're so arrogant, because we think so much of ourselves, we imagine that we can force the ideas to come. We imagine that we can force these things to work. Of course we can't, but we still imagine that we can. The truth is is that there has to be a foundation laid, and we don't know how to lay that foundation. So the only thing we can do, obviously, is allow this work to lay the foundational ideas and experiences that need to precede what we consider to be the more important ideas. See, and that's where we're wrong. How we decide what the important ideas are is based on our ego. It's based on our false personality. It's based on what it wants, what it thinks is the best way to go. Well, what will make me look good? What will make me happiest? What will make people like me and give me the things that I want? That, those are the ideas that we consider to be most important. Well, how can I be more comfortable? See, if I say, if I'm not so prickly and if I don't say things that annoy people, then I'll be more comfortable and people will be happier. Of course, this is all a lie. It has nothing to do with people being happier. It has to do primarily with us being happier. We don't really care so much about other people being happier. The only thing that we think is if they're happier, then we'll be happier. And so we're willing to let them be happy so that we can have some peace and happiness. Everyone wants to play a song the first day they pick up a guitar. I used to teach guitar. And I noticed that everybody wants to play the guitar and everybody thinks, oh yeah, I can play the guitar. And this was exactly what Segovia was saying. The guitar is the easiest instrument in the world to play. Poorly. So everyone picks up a guitar. The first day they want to learn three chords and strum a song and that's it. And then they never go any further than that. Well, that's not everyone, of course, but many people. But most people want to observe themselves. They want to do self-observation the very first day they hear about it. Most people want to remember themselves the very first day they hear of it. And that's just not the way it works. So we set up these expectations that are no good, these expectations that really hobble us and hinder us and keep us from moving forward. And they're expectations that the false personality comes up with, their expectations rooted in self-love because all we're interested in is looking good. We say it's about the work, but the truth is is that the self-love smothers the work every time it gets a chance. With the guitar and with this work, we need to read notes. We need to learn scales. Now, scales are really the relationship of notes to each other. That's what a scale is. And worst of all, we need to practice, practice, practice. As long as you're doing something that you want to do, practice is easy. And you can be practicing wrong, you know, wrongly. If you, one of the things that they say when you practice guitar is right practice produces different results than wrong practice. In other words, if you practice something the wrong way, you're still going to come out with the wrong result no matter how much you practice. You have to practice in the right way in order to get the kind of result, in order to get the right result. And this is really 
What I mean when I say right knowledge and right effort equals understanding. Wrong knowledge and wrong effort will not equal understanding ever in a million years. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand that if you take an apple and an apple and you put them together, you've got two apples. But if you take an orange and an apple and you put them together, you have an orange and an apple. No matter how hard you smash them together, you're not going to be able to get two apples out of an apple and an orange. It helps to have an overall lay of the land in order to get a feel for this work. And there's an internal country that is more vast than the one in which we live. And what I've noticed through working with people recently is that they are really unaware of this internal country. They don't really grasp it. They don't really know how to move in it. They don't even know that it exists because they're so glued, so connected to the world that we receive through the five senses that they can't see that there's something beyond that, something so much more subtle. In other words, the noise from the five senses is so strong, it's so powerful, that what happens is it just bleeds over the quietness of this internal country, the subtleness of this internal country. It's a lot like having a dish of food. And someone (laughs) had we cooked a, a, a dish the other day and took just a little tiny slice of habanero chili, um, which is also called Scotch bonnet. And the uh, the person who the person who knew what it was, well, I knew what it was, but there was another person who who thought, well, I know what a Scotch bonnet is, but I don't think that's a Scotch bonnet. He said, well, let me have a little slice of it and I'll taste it. So we sliced a little slice of it and gave it to him. And I, when I say a little slice, I mean barely a sliver, barely anything you could even see. He put it in his mouth and he chewed it. He said, no, no, that's not a scotch bonnet. And then all of a sudden, it hit. And he, he yelled and he slapped his thigh. And he said, "Woo! <laughs> okay, that's, 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 that's a scotch bonnet. So it was an habanero. We took just a little tiny bit and put it in this dish. And the whole dish was sparked by it. Had we used the whole thing, the whole dish would have been ruined. And this is what we are in need of an understanding on. We need to understand that the outer world is like a, a an habanero chili, a scotch bonnet chili. It's one of the hottest chilies around. And if you, you it, it's just overpowering and it will cover up the subtle flavors that you put into a dish. This is the same way with our internal kingdom. The outer world, as we allow it to come in through the five senses, is so powerful that it spoils the whole internal country, this vast internal country in which we live, and we can't become aware of it, we can't hear it, we can't smell it, we can't taste it, we can't feel it, because the, the, the five senses are like habanero chilies, and they're just constantly powering on. Now, esoteric teachings provide a map of this internal country that can help you to avoid the slums of violence, the slew of despond, the pit of self-pity, and the junkyard of internal considering. Yes, I chose these words specifically for a reason, because the slums of violence are down low. You have to go down into negative emotions in order to get to the slums of violence. The slew of despond comes from Pilgrim's Progress. It's one of the one of the things that we go through on this journey. 
the pit of self-pity is literally a pit. And once you've fallen into it, climbing out of it can be very, very, very difficult. And the junkyard of internal considering is a very dangerous place because there's all this rusting junk out there, all these old associations that are now touching everything. And everything they touch, they begin to rust. So if you bring a new piece of junk into the junkyard of internal considering, all those old pieces of junk touch it and it starts to rust and corrode it and ruin it way before its time. Deep inside of us, there's a violent person who's approached through becoming a bit negative. This is something that we need to understand and I've noticed that people don't understand this. They just don't seem to get this. They think it's okay to have negative emotions. It's really, all right, this is just a little bit and I'm just a little bit negative. And they allow things to come out of their mouths. They're just beyond comprehension. It's like there's no way that we can allow things to come out of our, our mouths that are nasty. I got an email from someone today and uh, they said uh, they said something that was just nasty. And then they put in parentheses, snarky. And I thought, you know, you should never allow that to come out of your mouth. That's not something that you need to go with because that is just being a bit negative. And when we are a bit negative, we begin by feeling ourselves unfairly treated. Well, you, that's not fair. Well, that's not right. Well, that person shouldn't have done that. And it's just a, such a subtle taste. It's such a subtle feeling. It seems like nothing at all. But at that moment, at that very instant, you have set your foot on a road that leads to the inner slums of violence. And I promise you that that path is greased and it's an escalator. You don't have to make a lot of effort from that point in order to make it to the slums of violence. In other words, if you don't do something to prevent it, if you don't do something to stop it, you're going to end up there. It's a lot easier not to, pull, not to point the gun and pull the trigger than it is to point the gun, pull the tr trigger, and then run after the bullet to stop it so that it doesn't hit the target once you've realized what you've done. So this is why we need to be so vigilant and not allow negative emotions to have voice, not allow them to come out. Mm, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. We'll talk about that. Well, isn't that being a phony then, if I don't let it come out? Well, it depends. It depends on if you're working or not. It depends on why you're doing that. That's the most important thing for us to realize, is that not everything is the way we think it is. Some things are different. So this is why we exercise caution with negative emotions. If we wish to develop, if you don't want to develop, you can have a field day of negative emotions. You can wallow in negative emotions. You can have wars. You can go out and kill people. You can loathe and hate without any regard for anything. You can do it with impunity. But to guard against even short bursts of negative remarks, even one negative remark, this is something that the work demands of us if we wish to develop. And so snarky comments, even if it's just a little one, never do us any good. They lead us down to the slums of violence inside of ourselves in this internal country where we really live, move, and have our being, even though we are not aware of that, even though we don't really know that. Casual, negative emotions are so subtle that we don't see them for what they are, where they lead. They truly, truly are wolves 
in sheep's clothing. And we're out, we're busy out looking at all of these people who are wolves in sheep's clothing. We're looking at these people who are doing something that they shouldn't be doing. We're looking at these people and judging them by what we think is right, by the morals that we have accepted, by the acquired conscience that we've accepted. An acquired conscience that has nothing whatever, for the most part, to do with real conscience, buried conscience. But we live by this acquired conscience, and this becomes our righteousness. And then we use our self-righteousness to judge and criticize and condemn other people and separate ourselves from them. This, again, leads us down into the slums of violence, the slough of despond, the pit of self-pity, the junkyard of internal considering. These are all places we need to avoid. And esoteric teachings, teachings give us a map to show us how to avoid those things, to show us how to stay out of those places, because they're very, very dangerous places for people who wish to develop. Outside, and this is the point we were we were going to discuss, or I'm going to discuss, but I think someone was thinking when they heard, well, you can't allow just any negative emotion or negative remark to come out your mouth. You have to stop it. It's like, well, why? Then am I, am I not being a hypocrite then? Because if I feel that way and I'm not saying it, then I'm just being a liar and a hypocrite. Outside, you may be well-mannered. You may be, you may be nice to people. Yet inside in this internal country, you may hate and loathe. You may gossip and criticize in this inner world. And if you do, I promise you, it is as deadly or more deadly than what you do outside. What you do outside can be seen by you and can be seen by others and can be addressed. What you do inside, you think, cannot be seen by others. You think that darkness hides. You think if you keep it in the darkness of your mind that no one else will know. All you have to do is look around at people and their faces and you can see that that's not true. You can see that people who live hateful lives, bitter lives, look like they were weaned on a lemon or a pickle, a sour pickle. Fear of consequences, fear of the authorities, fear of loss of reputation, fear that your business may suffer if you say what you want, if you just let it out. All of these things may prevent violence from manifesting externally. They may prevent you from that negative remark. You may not say to the police officer who's writing the ticket exactly what you think about him. You may not say that because you realize that he has the power to take you to jail if he and have your car impounded and cost you a lot of money. It's like, well, I wouldn't mind spending the night in jail. He's wrong and blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's fine. Spend the night in jail. Your car is going to spend the night in the impound yard, and then you're going to have to go get it, and it's going to cost you hundreds of dollars to get it. And I promise you, you care about that. Even if you're rich, you care about that. I don't care how much money you have, you care about that. Why? Because we're connected to those things through identification. So what happens is all this fear of consequences and the authorities and all these things, they lull us into this false sense of our own goodness. We think, well, I didn't say it, so now I'm a better person. I didn't say it, so I'm better than the person who did say it. I didn't say it, so now I'm righteous. Now I'm good. Now I'm right. Well, that's not the way it works. It's still happening inside, and that is what's really important. This feeds, it nourishes and builds imaginary eye, establishing an internal stronghold in this inner country inside of us. 
a dangerous neighborhood with no streetlights, with no protection, with no police patrolling, with no one to help you if you fall in that place. Because all the little eyes there live there. They live in that darkness. And they're thugs, they're robbers, they're pickpockets, they're thieves. And we need to stay away from them. Their feet are quick to shed blood. We need to not go with them. But when you find yourself in a negative state, when you find yourself going down into the slums of violence, you will find that you are surrounded by nasty little eyes that will support you in being nasty and will try and keep you there in that place. Very bad idea. I recommend you don't do that. We must first learn to distinguish the inner from the outer in a more conscious way. In a more conscious way. Esoteric teachings introduce this idea in many, many ways. But we're asleep to their importance, the importance of these ideas. We're blind to how to view them, how to see them, how to taste them, how to absorb them. We're blind to their meaning. We think we, we think our meaning is the meaning that is important. But what we need more than anything else in this work and in our lives, if we wish to develop, is new meaning. We need new meaning. But what do we do? Like a dog returns to its vomit, we are always going back to the old meaning because that's comfortable. We know what that is. That's warm. That's familiar. And so we go back to that. We remain focused, even in the work, on external results, proving that we live life from the outside in rather than the inside out, the way these esoteric teachings tell us we should be living life. For example, even if you get a new home, nearly everyone hates moving. Why? Because we have to move our stuff from old to new. And let's face it, if you'll think about the last time you moved, it was very high stress. We're so attached to our stuff, we can't let it go making the moving process stressful, tedious, expensive, and difficult. And so what do we do? Well, we end up not knowing. We end up hiring a moving company. Uh, here, let them move it for me. I don't want to deal with this. The work teaches non-identification, but we don't apply it to our own stuff. Why? Because we don't know what we have, where it came from, where it is. How many times have you moved and you found something, oh, where, I, I thought this was gone, I, can't, I couldn't even remember this. And now it's this sudden treasure because you haven't seen it in so long, so it's like an old friend and you want to spend all this time with it. And so maybe for five years or three years or two years or six weeks or a year, whatever, you didn't know anything about it, you didn't mean it, you didn't need it, you didn't care about it, but then suddenly when you see it, now the attachment is all fresh again and new again. You go right back to that. It's like, well, I can't let go of this. I can't throw this out. You've seen people like this for sure. I'm, I'm sure you have. Now, not everyone is like this all the time, but we are like this inside. And that's the point. So if you're sitting there smugly saying, well, I throw things away. I'm the king of throwing things away. If I buy something new, I throw something away because, or I give it away because I don't want too much stuff and I don't want to become too attached. Well, great. So now you're attached to your self-righteousness and your superiority. Bravo. Well done. Good for you. Think about the last time you moved. Think about all that stuff. Think about how hard it was. What do we do? We accumulate junk over all the years. Now, it wasn't junk when you bought it. Or maybe it was, but you just didn't know it. Then suddenly one day you realize, this is just junk. I don't need this. It's just junk. 
things that people have given you, things that you bought because at the time you couldn't live without it. How many things do you have in your life that you would willingly trade today for the money that you spent for them? There's the best indication right there. How many things that are in your life would you say, I'd rather have the money I spent on that than that thing? That gives you an idea of how impulsive and compulsive we are with these things. We become so encumbered with accumulated stuff that moving from one place to another becomes an overwhelming nightmare. We hire a company, they come in, they throw our junk in boxes, and they move it. And then we leave the boxes, or we leave the boxes, we stack them up someplace, and we may not get to them for a year. The people who are living in a place, and a year later, their boxes they haven't opened. What do you suppose is in there that they really need if they could live without it for a year? Or, better yet, I've known people who moved and part of the moving process was getting a storage shed, going and, and renting a storage space and then putting all this stuff in there. They just put this stuff in there. We leave it in the boxes or we store them in a dark place away from our awareness. We forget all about it. The bill comes in every month. Every month we pay the bill. Never going to visit the junk. Why? Because we don't know what to do with it. Because we don't even want to face it. And can you see that in our internal country, this is exactly what we do. We have all of these things, all these acquired things that we've collected over the years that serve us not at all. And what do we do with them? We just keep on stuffing them in the closet. We keep on pushing them into the darkness. We keep on closing them up in boxes. Rather than getting rid of them, rather than processing it out, rather than through self-observation and awareness looking at it and doing what the work tells us to do and separating from it, we just stuff it because it's easier to do. And then what happens? When it comes time to move, we're unable to move. Why are we unable to move? Because we're frozen with fear because we're frozen in the stress, because the whole thing becomes this big negative experience for us. And instead of taking us up, instead of being an ascending octave that takes us up into a higher state of consciousness, it becomes this negative experience that takes us into a lower state of consciousness or the slums of violence, as it were, the slew of despond, the pity, the pit of self-pity, the junkyard of internal considering. Everyone wants to play the guitar, but no one wants to go through the stuff that leads to mastery. Back to this idea of there are things that you have to do, foundational things that you have to do if you want to learn to play the guitar well. If you want to play it poorly like everyone else, you don't have to do that. But if you want to master it, if you want to do it well, then there are foundational things you must work on over and over and over again, whether you like it or not. Because the greater things cannot come until those foundational things have been established. Everyone wants the benefits of the work, but no one wants to go through the stuff and sort out the wheat from the chaff. Why? It's too hard. It's too painful. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't want to do that. Why should I have to do that? Why can't it all just happen? Well, isn't this work supposed to do it for you? Blah, 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 blah. It's not a matter of willingness. It's a matter of knowledge, effort, in the form of submission to the work, which never looks as it should. The work never looks like it's going to work for us. The work never looks like it should look. We always can find something wrong with it. Have you noticed that? 
You can always find something wrong with what you're hearing. You can always so easily find something to object to in one of these podcasts. It's like, but, 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 yeah, well, I don't think so. That's not what, hold it, wait a second. That may, that, that may be the way it is for you, but that doesn't mean it is, it is that way for me. That may be how your world looks, but that's not how my world looks. Look, this is not, this is not about how one person's world looks or how another person's world looks. This is about how you need to submit to something higher so that it can get inside of you and begin to change things that need to be changed, not according to what you want changed, but according to the things, the foundational things that need to be changed so that you can build one thing upon another. It always looks like we're submitting to a man, and the self-love hates that because no man is loved more than the self-love. Remember that Jesus said once, if you love me, obey my commandments. And this is truly what this work is about. It's a matter of loving it. It's a matter of valuation, where you understand what it means to you. You understand that you are living in a burning building, and you don't have the kind of time that you think you have to diddle around while you go back and get this picture, or go back and look for this, or go back and look for that. The building is on fire. You need to get out of it. This is the most difficult thing that I have to do in trying to get this across to people. And the reason it's so difficult is because there's no way I can get it across to people. This is something that must be caught and can't be taught. You must catch this. You must catch the meaning behind the words because you want it so badly. You must grasp it because you're hungry. You must taste it because you're thirsty. You must go after it. You must find it yourself. And until you get there, this work isn't for you. This work is just waiting in the sidelines. It's on the shelf, waiting for you to get to that point until you're hungry enough to eat it, until you're hungry enough to eat it and get a stomach ache from it, because it will give you a stomach ache. Because I promise you, if you are doing this work as it needs to be done, it's going to be very distasteful to you, and it's going to be very difficult to digest because the false personality doesn't like it, and the false personality is the work's enemy, and it will do everything in its power to stifle you, stop you, and turn you away or divert you from it. The self-love obeys only the self-love. We must move to a new neighborhood if we wish new neighbors. If you want different thoughts, if you want different things coming out of your mouth, if you want different things happening in your life, you're going to have to get out of the neighborhood you're living in, whether it be the slums of violence, the slew of despond, the pit of self-pity, or the junkyard of internal considering, or maybe all of those things, all of those neighborhoods that you move within and about. If you want something in you to change, if you want a different level of being, you're going to have to move. And moving means stress, and moving means effort, and moving means digging out those boxes, opening them up, seeing what's inside of them, and getting rid of what you no longer need. This work, it's not about adding things to you. It's about removing things from you. That's what I have to say about that. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application, 
in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.